Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. Acts chapter 20 today. So you can go ahead and open your Bible again to Acts chapter 20. And uh, this is uh, a passage about Sunday gatherings, which is kind of cool. Have you ever found that Sunday gatherings are a little bit difficult? Sunday mornings especially seem tough, don't they? Uh, there's something about it. You wake up and one member of the family is sick, or, uh, or maybe you're just extra tired from the night before, or there's some battle in the car on the way to church over you know, where you're sitting, or who knows what it's over. It could be over anything. Maybe you get to the service and all that's on your mind is the things you didn't get to on your Saturday to-do list and you're looking forward to getting to them on Sunday afternoon. I don't know what it is, but there's just something about Sunday morning gatherings that are difficult. I think we can say pretty fairly that um, the Sunday gathering that we're going to study in Acts chapter 20 was a difficult one, at least for Eutychus, right? Hopefully your Sunday gathering is not quite as difficult as the gathering was for Eutychus who fell out the window. Thankfully today we don't have anybody sitting in any window sills or anything like that. But the Sunday gathering was a challenge. And even in the midst of that challenge, we see it the way that the early church just treasured and valued their gathering together, really in a beautiful way. So as we consider this text, that's really what we want our takeaway to be, how important it is that we treasure our gatherings around the Word, that we remember how valuable and how important it is that we come and gather together, study the Scriptures together, and give praise to God. For instance, from our church covenant, uh, this is one of our commitments to each other. Uh, This is in the second main paragraph. We will glorify God by loving Him with all our beings. We will gather regularly to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, treasuring the preaching of His Word and singing His praise. We will faithfully observe the ordinances of Christ for His church, baptism, and communion. We will endeavor to grow in our love for God personally and to encourage love for God in our families and in all relationships where we have influence. So I'm so glad you're here today because we're doing what God has called us to do. We're treasuring the gathering of his people for the singing of his praise, the preaching of his word, the encouragements of the saints, all for the glory of God. As we dig into Acts chapter 20, let's remember the context a little bit, right? Last week was the great Ephesian riot where for hours on end, the people just cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Remember studying that last week? Paul was ready to go into the riot and his friends, you know, encouraged him, hey, maybe that's not the wisest thing to do in this scenario. Let's wait. Why don't you stay back? And uh, Paul is ready now in Acts chapter 20 to move on after the assembly has been dismissed. Paul is guided by kind of spirit-given directions for the next steps he's going to take. And what we're going to see in Paul's travels here is that the, the goal of his travels here is not just getting the gospel out. Now, that's important. But it's actually also to encourage and build up the church 
He's actually going back to many of the churches that he's already planted uh, to encourage them in the word, to, to build them up and to strengthen them. So Paul isn't simply sharing the gospel. This is about uh, establishing churches and growing churches in the word as well. So as we think about treasuring our gatherings around the word, we're going to consider how we do that. As we look at the early church and what they did, uh, we consider how we can treasure our gatherings around the word. Number one, we can give encouragement through the word. Give encouragement through the word. Notice in verses one through six how the Apostle Paul in his travels remains focused on encouraging churches by sharing the word. First of all, when he's preparing to leave Ephesus just after the riot, we notice in verse one that he calls the church all together and embraces them, right? There's just a family feel to this. There's great love for one another. He gives them, gives them hugs as he prepares to depart to Macedonia. So then in verse two, he travels to the region of Macedonia and encourages them with many words and then goes down to Greece. Now, maps are fun. And so we've got a map up here. Hopefully you can see that okay. And I'll try to point out from the front here kind of where Paul is and where's he, where he's headed, okay? So you can see Ephesus down here right? That's where the riot was. That's where Paul is departing from. And he talks about going to the region of Macedonia, which is actually way up here. And Paul takes this route to the north. It was a long trip. We're guessing he probably sailed from Troas over to Philippi and then landed here through this region of Macedonia. And again, these are places he's already been. So he's returning to these churches and encouraging them in the word, helping them grow stronger in their faith. From Macedonia, verses 2 and into verse 3 tells us that he headed south to Greece. And the main city there that we remember is the city of Corinth, where Paul ministered for a long time. And so he probably goes back to Corinth. It's not mentioned specifically here, uh, but, but that's a, a safe guess for us to make about Paul's travels. And so Paul is working his way down. And you notice in verse 2, it says that when he had gone through the region and encouraged them with many words. We know the Apostle Paul well enough by now to know that he, he's not just talking about fluff. When, when Paul encourages people with many words, what's he sharing? He's sharing the scriptures. He's sharing the gospel. He's teaching about God. And so as he goes to these churches, he's building them up in the word of God. He's sharing the scriptures with them, encouraging them in the word. So he goes to Greece, remember that's down here, probably Corinth and maybe some of the other cities down there, stays for three months, we find out in verse three. He's going to sail back, probably from Corinth and go across this way, but as he gets ready to sail, verse three tells us there, there are some Jews who plotted against him, probably trying to kill him, maybe they're thinking of even doing it on the ship, throwing him overboard, something like that, who knows, and Paul decides not to sail that way, so he goes back back north through Macedonia, and he's heading all the way back around uh, this way, ultimately to Troas, as we'll see in this text. Verse four is a long list of names. Didn't Asa do a good job with the names today? He, man, he nailed it. How, how much did you have to practice that, Asa? That was fantastic. But anyway, I, I, all these names here are names of Christians who are kind of traveling with Paul. Luke doesn't point it out here in Acts, but we learn in some of the other epistles that what was happening is the churches had taken up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. 
And so my theory is that these are believers from some of these churches, maybe one from Philippi. In fact, you notice that Luke points out where they're from. So you've got Sopater of Berea. You remember Berea? He's probably the representative from Berea. Uh, accompanied to Asia, Aristarchus Secundus of the Thessalonians from the church at Thessalonica. Uh, you've got Gaius from Derby. Remember the church in Derby? Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. So remember, Asia is uh, back, back in this region over here. So what I think happened is this, these men were each like the representatives from their church to help carry the funds, the money that they had raised as churches to send to Jerusalem. And you remember back in chapter 19, verse 21, Paul decided that the Spirit was leading him to go back to Jerusalem, I think it was, to deliver that financial aid. So even all of this is about care for the church, encouraging the body of Christ, specifically through the word, and as they go, they share the word and encourage one another. So Luke gives us some more details in 5 and 6. These men, they went ahead and waited for us at Troas. So Troas is over here. So we don't know if they sailed directly from here or if they traveled up and sailed across, but they went ahead so Paul could spend some more time. And then Paul later joined them. Verse 6 tells us they sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. Um, You'll notice in verse 6 that Luke uses the word we, and so it sounds like he waited with the Apostle Paul and uh, that they went just as far as Philippi and sailed from there to Troas. So just some travel uh, ideas there. Fun to read about these things, these little details about how things went in the early church there. But our takeaway from verses 1 through 6 is the the way that Paul is so engaged in encouraging the early church. It wasn't merely get the gospel out to everyone. You remember Jesus' command in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So I've summarized that. Obviously, that's not the whole verse. But the idea is this. It's not simply get the gospel out there. It's actually to make mature disciples of Christ. And so Paul returns to these churches to encourage them and help them to grow in their maturity through the scriptures. Indeed, God does use his word to encourage us. We sometimes think that we can just say fluffy, nice things, and that will be an encouragement to people, but real encouragement comes through truth. If something's just made up, if it's not reality, in the end, it might sound nice at first, but it won't ultimately be encouraging, will it? Truth is what's helpful. Truth is what's encouraging. And that's part of why the Word of God is so encouraging. I remember interacting with some friends uh, not long after a, a dear pet that they owned had, had passed away. And the loss of a pet is a really difficult thing. Maybe you've experienced that. It sort of becomes part of your family. And we know it's not a human, and I understand all that, but it's difficult to lose something dear to you like that. Well, one of the things they told me about that I'd never heard about after the passing of their beloved pet was something called the Rainbow Bridge. Have you ever heard of the Rainbow Bridge? 
So there's this kind of fluffy, encouraging thought out there among animal lovers that they like to talk about, with dogs especially, that after a dog passes away, it goes to the rainbow bridge. And there's this bridge out there somewhere, it's rainbow colored, and it's surrounded by meadows and fields, and so when a dog dies, it goes to the rainbow bridge and runs around in the field and is just happy, and so it's meant to be just this this happy thought. Now, I don't know how many dog lovers believe that's true or if it's just a nice thing to think about, though it's totally made up, right? I'm not sure which it is. But at the end of the day, a thought like that is not ultimately encouraging, is it? Because it's not based in reality. It's not based in truth. It's fluff. It's fluff. And the bottom line is, if you want real encouragement, if you want real hope, we need rock-solid truth, We need to think according to reality, and the place we find that help is the Word of God. It's the truths of Scripture that give us the rock-solid truth we need to find encouragement and hope. And this is not just feel-good encouragement. It's nice to feel good. But the kind of encouragement that Paul's talking about here is the same word that could be used for help or even exhortation. This is the word that's related to being built up in the church. So we're talking about not just feel good, but actually grow in Christ. And the word of God, again, is sufficient for that. So as we make application from this first section of the text, thinking about uh, the encouragement through the word, first of all, it's important that we learn to love one another. We notice how the Ephesian believers were so dear to Paul, he embraces them as he prepares to leave. Now, again, we don't have to be a hugging church. We can be whatever. It doesn't really matter. The point is that they loved one another. Uh, They were so excited to be with one another. And so as Paul prepares to leave, they embraced like family departing each other. And so I've actually uh, got some short statements I've used to summarize these points And so this one could be this, give hugs, right? Again, you get the idea. You don't have to give hugs. But the idea is that we're we're encouraging one another in the word. We're loving one another in the church. This is Jesus' command, isn't it? Love one another as I have loved you. It's through the the supernatural love of the church that, that a world in darkness sees the light of Christ among us. Jesus said, by this love. All men will know that you are my disciples. That's how we show we're followers of Jesus, by love for one another. And that one another does refer to the church. Now, it's not that we're not to love, you know, others. Scriptures are clear. We're to love even our enemies. But it's love for one another in the church that becomes that light in the darkness. We love one another with the scriptures. Now, this doesn't mean that every time you greet somebody or talk with somebody, you got to share a verse. Eh, That's not what it's saying. But when we really want to help each other, we find great encouragement in the scriptures to talk with one another about what you've been learning in your time with God. Maybe an idea would be to share with a friend what you read in the scriptures that morning. What truth about God did you find especially delightful that morning? How did God use the the Sunday scripture passage in your life? Maybe share with someone how God has been at work in you recently. This is part of the way we build one another up with word-centered encouragement. The scriptures even help us with confrontation when we need to do that in each other's lives. 
Right? There are times when we might stray into sin and we need the encouragement of a brother or sister in Christ to come alongside and say, hey, this is not what it means to follow Jesus. Let's follow him together. And the beauty of the scriptures in a moment like that is it's not me coming up to somebody and saying, well, this is just not the way you should do it. No, we come alongside one another with a, the hug, right? Arm around the shoulders and say, hey, brother, hey, sister. I've needed help with this so many times in my life. Look with me what Jesus has told us to do in his word. Man, I struggle with this as well. Let's let's walk together shoulder to shoulder following the words of Christ. You see, when we come back to the scriptures like that, it's not about what I think or what you think. It's about what he says. That's a great tool for us as we seek to help one another grow in Christ. And so we give encouragement through the word. Uh, You're going to like this next one in the passage. We can prioritize our Sunday word-centered meal. And I've summarized this one this way, eat together. Okay, so in the text, they actually do enjoy a meal together. Kind of fun. Uh, A really late night meal. I don't know if I'd want to eat at one o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was when when, uh, Paul gets back upstairs to eat. But, uh, But they did enjoy a meal together. But the main meal I'm talking about is not a meal of food. The meal I'm talking about is a meal in the Word. Did you notice the priority of their gathering in verse 7? On the first day of the week, oh, there's something interesting. They gathered on the first day of the week, Sunday. Now, just a side note, as we work our way through the book of Acts, we're, we're reading descriptions of how things happened. We're not always reading commands or prescriptions of how we have to do things. At the same time, by this time in the book of Acts, a number of the New Testament epistles had already been written. In fact, it's likely that uh, the book of Romans had been written, maybe 1 Corinthians, Galatians, some of these other letters had, had probably been written by this time. And so there can be some helpful ideas that we glean from what the early church did, but we're just reading descriptions of what they did. So they gathered on Sunday, and we think the main reason for that is it's when the Lord Jesus arose from the grave. We celebrate the resurrection each Sunday when we gather. So it was the first day of the week. They came together to break bread. There's purpose there. And so I think this is talking about more than a meal. Breaking bread could simply refer to a meal, but it could also refer to the Lord's Supper. And because it's such a purpose statement, they came together to break bread, I think it is talking about the Lord's Supper, uh, partaking of what Jesus Christ had commanded them to do. So they're there preparing to take the Lord's Supper, and Paul, he's going to depart the next day, begins speaking to them, and get this, he continues his message until midnight. Now, I think it's likely that they started gathering in the evening. Uh, The likelihood is that even in that day on Sundays, they probably had to work. Not like our culture today where we get Sundays off, but even Sunday was a work day, right? It wasn't a Christian culture, so to speak, where where our worship practices have affected even the work week. Isn't that interesting? So back in that day, they probably had to work on Sunday. And so after a long day of work, imagine gathering together now for church and Paul's leaving the next day and just has so much he wants to tell them from the scriptures. And so he keeps going and going and going and soon it's midnight. Now again, we don't know exactly what time they came together, but even if it was as late as eight o'clock, that's still a pretty long sermon. 
I'm not planning to go that long today, okay? But what it shows us is the way they were committed to the scriptures. Can you imagine after a hard day of work, right? Then gathering together. And, you know, it sounds like they hadn't even eaten yet because it's actually after Eutychus uh, is raised back to life. They go back upstairs and it says, then they broke bread and ate. So, I mean, they're, just, they're probably hungry, they're tired, but they're so committed to hearing the word. I love that. I love that. It's convicting to me as I read this text and think about how easy it is to get bummed on Sunday mornings and it's hard to get up and boy, am I going to make it. But I just love the commitment here to hear the words of the scriptures, to be together as a church, to worship God. They prioritized this Sunday word-centered meal. As we think about prioritizing something like that, maybe the closest thing we could think of is like a Thanksgiving meal. That's a priority, right? I mean, you think about all the plans that go into a Thanksgiving meal. Weeks before you put together your grocery list, right? You got to find a turkey that's the right size. You probably buy it in advance so you're not left with the slim pickings at the end, right? You put it in the freezer so it's ready to go. You contact family to make sure everybody can get there the day that you have planned for your Thanksgiving meal. And you're thinking through the timing, right? What time do we need to get the turkey in in order for it to be ready at mealtime? And when do we need to take it out? And when's everybody arriving? And who's bringing the green beans? And who's bringing the rolls? And you have all, all these plans that we make up. And what pants am I going to wear so I have enough room after I've eaten, right? All these things uh, go, come into play as we think about a big meal, a big gathering. What's that show? It shows priority. It shows we value it. It shows we love it. I wonder, do, does that kind of planning go into our southern Sunday gatherings? And does it show that we value and prioritize coming together for the meal of the Word? I just love the example of the early church and the way they valued the Sunday gathering. Indeed, it's scripture-based gatherings that is the testimony and the command of the New Testament. These things are command for us. That's why we do them. You know, these, these gatherings on Sunday, they're not, they're not for me, they're not for you, they're not just because it's fun or even because we need it, though we do. This is for the Lord. It's in obedience to him. We've gathered to do what he's commanded us to do. And we love him. And we want to love him more. And so in obedience to what he's told us, we have these gatherings all for him. Can I encourage us just gently, this is a struggle for any one of us, but to keep prioritizing the Sunday worship service. Now, I'm speaking to the choir, so to speak, because here you all are. I'm glad for that. Continue to make this a priority in your life. I'm not telling you that because I, I want to, to have a lot of people here or it's because it's for me. No, this is just, just what the Lord has commanded us to do. And so whether the Lord has you here or takes you to another church or wh- wherever you are, prioritize the Sunday gathering around the word of God. Don't let difficulty keep you home watching online is is a fine thing. I'm I'm glad we have that, but it's not the same as the physical gathering of the church. 
I am so thankful that we have live stream. And a big thanks to the crew that helped get live stream set up in this room because we have a, we have a number of shut-ins in our church who can't make it. And praise God that they can join us on live stream. It's for them. And I'll try to look at them right now. I'm so glad you're with us this way because you can't make it in. But if you can make it in, get here, right? It's, it's a priority that Christ has given us. And, and, and I love the testimony of the early church, the sacrifice to get there. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking about the church globally. We were with the De Silvas in Brazil, and uh, it, it was just super encouraging to watch the, the way their church valued gathering together. Many of the believers in the church walk, walking miles and miles to get the church and they were talking about how it's, it's more difficult for people to get there if it's raining because they walk so far to get to church, right? There are churches around the globe meeting, you know, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, depending on the timeline, uh, who, who might be fearing for their lives, right? And, and at great personal self-risk are obeying Jesus by gathering with the church. Sometimes it's easy to just, just kind of get loosey-goosey with church gatherings. Well, you know, maybe I won't go today. But remember Jesus. Remember his desire. He, he purchased the church with his blood so that we could come together and be a people for the praise of his name. We gather every week to sing his praises and be a light in a dark place. Let's stay committed to our Sunday gatherings, our word-centered meal. Number three today, be encouraged by God's work among us. Here we, here we come to verses 8 through 12 where, oh, poor Eutychus has his adventure here. And my little summary of this point is stay alert. <laughs> You'll see what I mean by that. It's not just stay awake. It's more so keep your eyes open for what God is doing in his church. Because in the end, it's not Eutychus that is the focus of this section. In the end, it's the work of God that encourages the church. Luke puts it in an interesting way at the end of verse 12. He says, they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Right? That's an interesting way to say it, but it means the opposite. They were greatly comforted, right? And so they're so encouraged. Why are they encouraged? Because they saw God at work in a powerful way. Eutychus was dead and he's alive again. Isn't that cool? So let's imagine the story together beginning in verse 8. Luke the doctor points out that there were many lamps in the room. Luke's probably aware that that would create kind of a stuffy environment and might put someone at risk of falling asleep. And sure enough, verse 9, a young man named Eutychus, the, the word young man is often used of those of age 8 to 14. So I'm curious, how many between the ages of 8 and 14 do we have in the room today? Uh-huh, pretty good. I love this. I love this. Okay, so Eutychus might have been your age, right? And so for some reason, he's sitting in the windowsill, and as the oxygen is kind of leaving the room uh, from the candles and Paul's long-windedness, he's getting a little droopy-eyed, and we can all relate. We've all been there, right? Let's be honest. Uh, and so Eutychus is getting a little droopy-eyed, and finally it says he's overcome by sleep, and Paul keeps on going. So Eutychus is sleeping in the windowsill and nobody saw, nobody noticed, nobody woke him up and he ends up falling out. And 
Thankfully, we know the end of the story, and so there can be a little humor here, but imagine how tragic this would have been in verses 9 and 10 before they know what happens here as this young man passes away, falling out of the window. I mean, just, I was trying to put myself in, in the Apostle Paul's shoes. If I was the speaker in the room when this happened to little Eutychus and he fell out the window, oh man, I would have felt so bad. And so I can understand why Paul was maybe the first one down there to, to find Eutychus and, and hope that he's just okay. Now, Luke tells us at the end of verse 9 that he was taken up dead. Luke, being a doctor, I don't think was confused. I think he knew. I think Eutychus was dead. You could read this to say that they just all thought he was dead, and when Paul got close, then he heard a heartbeat and that Eutychus was okay. But I don't think you'd have quite the joy we see described in verse 12 if he was just okay with some injuries. I think this is a miracle. I think Eutychus died, and as Paul embraced him, kind of like uh, the story of Elijah in the Old Testament with the embrace of the girl, and she was raised to life, kind of like that here, uh, that, that Eutychus is raised back to life. And so Paul says to the crowd, don't trouble yourselves, his life is in him. God has raised him back to life. And so in verse 11, they, they get up and they go back upstairs and you can just imagine the, the talking and the chatter and the amazement at what God had done. So they break bread, they eat, they talk a long while. Now, just, this is just amazing to me. It's already midnight. They get back upstairs after this event and, and sure, I mean, a little emotional a roller coaster like that, I can see how the adrenaline would be pumping, but... They talk and fellowship till morning, till the sun comes up. Talk about a church that loves one another and loves to be together. And I'm not proposing that our fellowships last all night long, but it's just such a cool picture of the way they were devoted to one another and cared for one another. And they, they talk and eat till daybreak and Paul makes his way onward and they rejoice that Eutychus is alive. So be encouraged by God's work among us. And when I say stay alert, I don't, I don't just mean stay awake, but keep your eyes open for how God is at work among us. You know, a first reading of a passage like this, we, we could think, well, man, it'd, it'd be easy if people were being raised to life among us. But don't be satisfied with, with temporal healings like that. I don't mean to be negative, but do you know that Eutychus died again? This was not an eternal work of God in Eutychus's life. But today, in our church, God is doing eternal work. So don't settle for temporary healing or temporary raising of the dead. What we want to see is God's eternal work in us. Taking souls destined for hell and converting them to eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ that's power. That's resurrection power in the church. And as our eyes are open for what God is doing, we can see his eternal raising of the dead among us and be not a little comforted, <laughs> greatly encouraged. You see, God is still at work among us today. And as we see him at work, it is encouraging. 
Uh, some of you know Wednesday night, uh, the, the door to the main entrance, the hinge at the base broke off and the, the door kind of swung out. And thankfully, no one is injured when it happened. The, the door closer at the top was still attached and all this, but it had, it had rusted all the way through. And so uh, the church survived two nights with, with a missing front door. We, we made it. I slept in the foyer. No, I'm kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> So uh, we, as quickly as we could, we called some local repairmen, and uh, that was a challenge. I called a few companies and tried to find, you know, does anybody know how to fix these glass doors with the aluminum frames? And no, we don't really do those. You might try this company. No, we don't really do those. You might try this company. And so call after call. Finally, I found this company. I said, yeah, we do those, and uh, we could come out uh, today. Would that be okay? That would be awesome, you know? So these repairmen, they ended up long story, they came out the next day, they came out, and it was just fun to watch them work. They had done, you know, hundreds of thousands of these things, they're like, oh yeah, this kind of thing happens all the time, and, you know, they started taking screws out and popping this off and replacing this thing, and they were done in just a matter of time, and I just kind of draw drop as I watch these professionals at work repair the door, fix something, I could hardly find anybody else who could do it, but they, they were pros at it, and it just took minutes, and they were done, and it was like, huh, that was amazing. You know, a problem that I couldn't solve on my own, these guys could just do like that. It was so encouraging to watch their work, and it solved an issue uh, that we needed fixed here in the church. How much more encouraging is it when we watch our almighty God at work in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you realize that that's part of the reason that God commanded us to gather? So that we would see God at work in our lives. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but it actually before that says, consider one another so that you may be stirred up in love and good works. As we think about each other, as we see one another, as we see God at work, the church is encouraged. So how is God at work among us? Well, He's converting souls. You know, already this year in the life of our church, God has saved five individuals, brought them to faith in Christ here in our congregation. Praise God. Eternal resurrection is what that is, right? Not just that. God has been working in hearts. When we gather on a Sunday morning, do you realize that we get the privilege of seeing the fullness of Christ? Ephesians talks about the fact that in the church is his fullness. How in the world does that happen? Well, think about it this way. Those who've trusted in Christ have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. And what does the Holy Spirit empower us to do? To display the fruit of the Spirit. And who does the fruit of the Spirit end up looking like? Jesus. That's right. And so when I see the joy of the Spirit in this member over here, I see a little bit of what Jesus is like. And when I see the the gentleness of the Holy Spirit in this believer over here, I see more of what Jesus is like. And as we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we see God at work. And that's how the church displays the glory of Christ. Think of that. Like in this room right here, with all these Spirit-filled people, Jesus is represented. That's so cool. Now, He's also here with us. We know that, right? but we get to see him visibly in your brothers and sisters in Christ. That is cool. Be encouraged by the work of God among his people. He is still at work today. 
Don't think that it's done and over. And don't even long for stuff like Eutychus. This is not what we want. What we want is eternal work in hearts. Right? So we give praise to God as he works among us in the church. Be encouraged by that work. This leads us to the final section of Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And in verses 13 through 16, we see how Paul makes his plans according to God's priorities. And a little phrase we could add to this one is press on. You'll see it on the screen after I put the maps up here in a little bit. Now, you'll notice in verses 13 through 16 that we pretty much have like travel plans. And I love that Luke does this because it speaks to the reality of what was happening in the early church. Right? You just kind of can't make this stuff up. This is, you know, random travel plans. And they went here and they sailed to this place and then they did this. But instead of doing this, they did this, you know. And so it's really interesting to read and to think through how they all did it. But I want you to notice that within these travel plans, we see Paul's commitment to God's priorities. It's not about the plans themselves. It's about doing what God had led him to do. So let me help, uh, let's, let's see this together in verses 13 through 16. They, they go ahead to the ship and they sail to Assos. And there they intended to take Paul on board because he had given him orders intending to go on foot. So let's get some bearings here so you can imagine what's happening. Now you remember they had stopped in Philippi over here and sailed across to Troas. Okay, Some of the group sailed to And we don't know exactly why that is. I think it's because they're carrying money, right? They're bringing that gift back to Jerusalem. And so going on foot would have had all sorts of dangers for robbers and road thieves and things like that. Going by boat was actually safer if you're traveling with some kind of precious cargo like that. And so I think those carrying money took the ship. Paul decided to go by foot at greater personal risk but it would give him more time to stay with the believers in Troas. Because oddly enough, the, the journey by foot was actually shorter in this case than going by boat. So those with the money took the boat. Paul stayed in Troas. It shows that he wanted to spend more time with them. So he took the more dangerous route by foot, but it gave him more time with the believers in Troas. So they head down to Assos just a little bit south. Let's continue to see where they go from there. Verse 14, when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. So they travel from Assos by ship to Mytilene. It's just down here, this little grouping of islands. And next in verse 5, they sailed from there and they came opposite Chios. Okay, that's down here. And uh, let's continue on. The following day, they arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogillium. And the next day they came to Miletus. Miletus is where their journey is going to end for now. So they work their way down these little islands and finally land down here at a city connected to the mainland. And uh, that's where we will encounter them in next week's passage. But I want you to notice verse 16. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, I think two things were motivating his hurry to Jerusalem. 
Uh, One is his desire to be there for this festival, the day of Pentecost. But the other, I think, goes back to chapter 19, verse 21, when we remember reading that Paul purposed in the Spirit, and we talked about how he determined in the Spirit. It's kind of this idea that as, as Paul was talking with the Lord and praying and considering what God wanted to do, he determined, you know what? I think it's God's will for me to make a beeline back to Jerusalem to get there to deliver this gift, the money that we've raised, and to be an encouragement to them. And so I think Paul's rushing in chapter 20, verse 16 is because he's seeking to do what he believed the Lord wanted him to do. He's following God's plan. Now you remember how dearly he loved the Ephesians. He embraced them when he left. So this wasn't about, well, I don't really like them, so we'll skip Ephesus and keep going. This is Paul trying to be faithful to what he believes God is leading him to do. I gotta get back to Jerusalem as the Lord has directed me to deliver the gift and to encourage the churches there. And so he stays committed to God's plans. As we think about this and applying this to our lives, it's important that we also make plans according to God's priorities. The Word of God helps us with that, and as we treasure our gatherings around the Word, we look to the Scriptures for guidance in God's priorities, and we, we seek to then press on That's our little phrase attached to this one, to press on in in doing what God has called us to do. Part of the reason uh, I I, I draw this out is that our our worship service gatherings are intended to be designed around what God has commanded us to do, prioritizing what he has told us to do. And so we think about this in terms of our own lives. Are my choices and plans reflecting God's values? Sometimes we think about his commands, and that's good, do this or don't do this, and and there's a lot of that in the Christian life, but sometimes we miss God's values or God's priorities. Uh, That's where we understand what is important to the Lord, and the things that I'm seeing as important, that I'm valuing, does it match what God says is valuable? We also think about this. Uh, in life revolving around God and His work among us. This is the most important thing. God and His people displaying the glory of God on the earth and leading those who don't know Christ to faith in Jesus Christ. This is why we're still here. So part of reflecting His priorities is more and more building our lives around God's work and what He is doing. This life is not about us or about being comfortable, about living for ourselves. It's actually about letting the world know that Jesus is the Savior that God sent. In the life of our church, we seek to be obedient to Christ's commands using a little phrase tagline. You've probably heard it before. Love Him, learn Him, serve Him, share Him. And those aren't found exactly in Scripture. We've just kind of boiled down some of the commands of Scriptures to those short phrases. Love Him. Well, that one's pretty obvious. We are commanded to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's the intent of our worship gathering, that our hearts would be stirred in our affection for God as we sing His praise and hear the Word of God preached among us. That's our goal when we practice the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper, commanded by Christ, but things that also help us to love Him and worship Him in the life of the church. Then there's learn Him. Uh, 
This comes from his commands that we would build one another up. In fact, really, all of the one another commands in Scripture, right? Love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, warn one another, restore one another. I mean, it goes on and on and on, right? Those are all for the local church. And that's part of how we put on Christ, how we learn Him and display His glory among us. Specifically, Ephesians 4, 12 through 16 talks about this, how every part of the body has a role to play in building the body up into the image of Christ. And so in learning him, we we try to do this specifically in our growth groups, where we have the opportunity to do all of those one another commands and where we have the chance to speak the truth in love so that the church may grow up into Christ. Next, you have serve him. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, where Jesus commands us to use the grace that he has given to us to minister grace to one another, to serve one another. Part of the life of the church is serving, ministering God's grace to one another in the life of the church, getting involved, and we'll have fun opportunities to do that together in a little bit when we get to take the chairs down a little bit. Even that is taking the grace of God that he's given me, the the strength, the ability, the the energy to do these kinds of things and using it to serve him and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Finally, to share him. This goes back to the command to make disciples of all nations, which is both evangelism, sharing the gospel, and discipleship, helping disciples to mature in Christ. And so as we seek to share him, we're both hoping to lead people to faith in Christ and lead them also to maturity in Christ and one-on-one discipling. We encourage you to participate in that if you're not already. All of these are ways that we seek to make our own plans according to God's priorities, to live and do and value what God has told us to do. I'm so thankful for this body of Christ. God has gathered together here a people for his name. And I see so many similarities among our congregation with what we read about here in this early church, except for, you know, Eutychus falling asleep and falling out the window. That's, you know, that's not, we don't have that. But but seriously, I'm so thankful for the way God has knit this people together. What a joy on, on this Sunday to enjoy singing together and even as we sing praises to God, to be able to look across the room and see our brothers and sisters in Christ who are just from their hearts worshiping Him as well. To to see faces where, ah, you know what, I wonder if so-and-so went through a challenge this week. Maybe there's a a tear in the eye or even one running down the cheek. And as spirit-filled people, we can think to ourselves, you know, maybe I could give an encouraging word to them or, or at least just ask how they're doing. I'm thankful for a body of Christ here that's committed to caring for one another, loving one another, gathering to praise our great God. We're seeing him at work here and we give him praise for that. But let this little glimpse into the the New Testament church encourage us to press on in these ways, to keep making these things the priority because they're what God has called us to do. And if it helps you to remember these fun little phrases, that as a church, we'd, we'd give hugs. <laughs> we just encourage one another in the word, showing our familial love for each other. 
prioritizing the Sunday word-centered meal. Hey, you're here. Praise God. Be encouraged by God's work among us. Don't be afraid to talk about what God is doing in your life. Share it with somebody. Tell them. How's he using the word in your hearts and in your life? Or maybe you need help and can ask someone to be an encouragement to you. And from here, as we press on, we make it our aim to keep pleasing him because he purchased us with his blood And day by day by day, we keep seeking to give him glory and honor in the way we do church until that day, as we read in Revelation, we'll stand before the lamb. As the lamb steps forward, the only one worthy to begin the process of setting up the kingdom. Why is he worthy? Because he redeemed us by his blood. And so from now And forevermore, we are a people redeemed by his blood, crying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. So day in and day out, we live for him who died for us. That's the church. Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you have done in this place. Thank you for Jesus who died for us and rose again. Thank you for the one who purchased us with his blood And may this church continue to be a place where we see the glory of Christ among us. That as a people, we would confess our sins and repent of our wrongdoings and be filled with your spirit, that his fruit might be seen in this place, that your word would guide and direct the way we live and act and interact with each other and even the way we worship you, that your name would be praised. We ask for your help in this and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.